0: Hi and welcome to No Crying in Baseball, Episode Forty Five, Other Potty Mouth Episode. That's right. My name is Patty, and I'm not here with Regulation Potty Mouth because she's in Toronto. She's in Canada. What the heck is she doing there? But don't worry, her chair is being filled by my friend Other Potty Mouth. Hi, Patty. It's good to be here. Happy to have you keeping that chair warm today. On today's show, we're going to check in on some boyfriend trades. We're going to find out what's up with the kids' fantasy boyfriend baseball league team. We're going to talk about. Other Rookie of the Year candidate, Ronald Acuna Jr., and his hit-by-pitch and the unwritten rules of baseball that really tick us off. There's another bullpen cart in the game, and we're going to close with an interview with baseball documentarian John Leonidakis. But first, the kids' team. What's up with the kids' team, other potty mouth? We're not doing well. (laughs) How bad?
1: Pretty bad. We are not in last place, but... Any player that could ever do anything good for us is on the DL right now, so I thought we could do a quick update on that. Chris Bryant, who I thought would be a great pick when I made this team in March, is possibly going to rejoin the Cubs before September 1st, but has had a left shoulder inflammation since July 23rd. Aaron Judge has had a chip fracture since July 26th and still has no timetable for his return. Edwin Encarnacion, who you may know from Cleveland is on the 10-day DL, but he seems like he should be back soon, based on the articles I was looking at. And John Hicks, catcher in first base for the Detroit Tigers, will have season-ending surgery for a bilateral core muscle defect.
0: That kind of sucks the middle out of your team, doesn't it? I don't have
1: anyone anymore. (laughs) What
0: about your pitchers? They were all
1: Orioles. And now none of them are Orioles. None of them? None of them. What happened? Well, the Orioles are pretty bad. I
0: hadn't noticed.
1: Yeah, so they just got rid of all of them, and now, like, half of them are on Atlanta for some reason.
0: So my question is, are you going to take the time to, like, to do some trades and rejigger your team, or are you just going to ride it out and see what happens?
1: Well, so the thing is, I'm only a representative of the kids. There's actually two other people involved. But neither of them care enough to change, and I feel like to change the roster, and I feel like I've done my part by picking the
0: roster itself. So if they won't do it, I won't do it. Okay. Well, that, that's a recipe for victory for sure. Last week, week before maybe, I was lamenting all of the trade deadline trades involving my boyfriends that I thought were totally screwing me up. But as it turns out, three of the guys are actually doing better now that the trades have happened. I was really upset about Wilson Ramos going to the Phillies because I love him. And I'm never going to drop him, but that meant I had to drop Reese Hoskins. But Ramos was out a little bit on the DL, finally came back. So in his first games with the Phillies, he had three hits in each of the first two games with the Phillies. So the Buffalo is thriving in the city of brotherly love. And that's good for him. That's good for Philly. And that's good for my points. Tommy Pham went to Tampa Bay, which worked out okay for me because... That's how I lost Wilson Ramos. He was away on injury and his first game back. So his first real game with Tampa Bay after his injury got on base three times. So he's doing better. But the real victory is my old Dodgers boyfriend, Logan Forsyth, who went to the Twins. When he was with the Dodgers, he was hitting two oh seven. Since he's been with the Twins, he's hitting three eighty six and had a five-hit night against the Tigers the other day. So trades ended up being good. It was a lot of work at the last minute to massage the teams around, but it's paying off for me. We've talked in the past about using position players. You have some observations about those Phillies.
1: Yeah, the Phillies really just wilded out a couple nights ago. Thursday, they lost 24-4 to the Mets, which I don't know who I would be rooting for in that, but I'd like to see the Phillies get knocked down a couple pegs. And they ended up putting in two position players over three innings. The first one was center fielder Roman Quinn, who actually, he didn't do great, but he had he ended up with a 37.8 ERA <laughs> and allowed seven runs. But his pitches hit mid-80s. And then the second one was shortstop Scott Kingery, who only ended up with a 13.5 ERA, which for a position player shouldn't be that bad, unless you know that his pitches were too slow to register on the game day thing for MLB.
0: (laughs) So we've talked about position players being used in these situations being a good idea. It's already a blowout why not? Have a little fun with it. And if you have time to find the the videos of Scott Kingery pitching, you should, because it looks a little bit like how it would be if I were to pitch. Very sort of looping balls, but his were a little bit more accurate than mine, but they were hilariously slow.
1: A Mets pitcher did end up with his first career major league hit, and he was adorable celebrating on base. Oh, so cheers for that. That's, that's for, for you, Potty Mouse. Thank
0: you. <laughs> so that was Jerry Blevins, formerly of the Nationals, Now with the Mets getting his first hit off of a shortstop. Yay for that. I talk every week about Juan Soto, and this time I'm not. Um, This time I'm going to talk about Ronald Acuna Jr., who is Juan Soto's main competition for Rookie of the Year this year. He's with the Braves. He is a rock star. He was the victim of stupidity and revenge, and I'm really quite ticked about it. So he was on a tear, right? He had five home runs in five games, and then – and then the Braves played the Marlins, and in three games in a row with the Marlins, he hit a leadoff home run. So like first pitch or first at bat every game for three games, home run. Well, Braves pitcher Jose Ureña was going to have none of that. So in the next game, Acuna begins the, starts the game. He's the leadoff hitter. The very first pitch, Ureña beans him in the elbow, in the elbow with a 97.5 mile per hour fastball. Then he says, oops, sorry, it was an accident. Well, that was the fastest first pitch this pitcher has ever thrown in any game. And usually if you miss, you miss, you know, a little bit. It was straight at the elbow and it was mainly to punish Acuna for being a good player. And I don't like it. So what I want to say to this pitcher is, you know what, do your job. He didn't do anything to you. He didn't do anything wrong. He's doing his job really well. Suck it up and do your job. Pitch to him. Get him out. Do your job better. Don't just throw at his elbow. So um, Ureña got a six-game suspension and a fine. And here's the strategy involved. He's decided to appeal this. Now, when you're a starting pitcher, a six-game suspension means you're going to miss one start. Okay, that's hardly much of a punishment. That's a slap on the wrist, right? If he appeals, he gets to keep playing while he appeals. And so right now, the, they're in town playing the Nationals. So he could play this weekend if he wanted to. And then he could decide to drop the appeal so that his suspension happens when they play the Braves. So he's not going to pitch to the Braves. So the Braves aren't going to throw at him. I just think that's crazy. That's nuts. Why, why are we throwing at each other? How can we get away with this stuff? And really, is that enough? You, you could take this. You could take this kid's career away from him. I mean he just sat out the game. He ended up being fine, but it was his elbow, right? This kid, I mean it, it could be anybody and it could ruin their career, it could ruin their season. He's he's a contender for rookie of the year. It's just not cool. And weirdly, the hit batters are at an all-time high this season. We're currently on pace for over 1900 hit batters this season. That's 33 more than last year if we continue at this pace. And the really terrible thing is it's more hands and wrists and elbows getting hit. And some of the um, some of the, the DL incidents from the kids team are like Aaron Judge hit by a pitch. That was one of those. So it's taken people out and it's not good. And it's a stupid unwritten rule that if somebody, you know, does something you don't like, you hit him with with the baseball. And it's it's assault, right? I mean it's a ninety seven mile per hour projectile you're aiming at somebody. It's not cool. I think there are better unwritten rules, like seventh inning stretch, you need to stand up. Isn't that better than you got to throw balls at somebody? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe something good about the Marlins now.
1: So Potty Mouth actually texted this to me, the real Potty Mouth, because she wanted me to talk about it for for her. And the other reason she wanted me to talk about it was because she said she, as a Red Sox fan, couldn't bring herself to say anything good about Derek Jeter. I'm an Orioles fan, so I can't either, but I'm going to try my best. <laughs> Uh, Derek Jeter, as everybody knows, is now part owner, manager, I don't actually know what his technical role is, with the Marlins, but he has instituted a program where, so they've, as far as, the article didn't state, like, when they started, but the Marlins were teaching Latin American-born players English. And, like, just as part of, like, you-have-to-know-English-if-you're-going-to-play-here thing. And so now they've instituted a program where players and upper-level staff who speak English exclusively or as a first language now have to take a weekly Spanish class. And the thing Derek Judo said in the interview about it was everybody expects the Latin players to make an effort to speak English, especially here in Miami. If you don't speak Spanish, you don't fit in. So Potty Mouth and I agree that that is a good move on his part.
0: I really like that because it always seems to be that the English-speaking players sort of wait for the Spanish-speaking players to catch up, right, to, to learn the you know, English language so that they commun- communicate. I got to say nice things about Cheater too, which is killing me dead, but this is a good idea that all the players can meet each other where they are and communicate and become a team and get closer together sooner. I have a beer report. This week in beer, Eric Hosmer of the Padres... Hit a home run into a beer. This is a really good beer story because what he did was he hit the hit the ball deep into left field. John Jay of the Diamondbacks tries to, to rob the home run. When you rob the home run, that's when your glove goes up over the wall when the ball is clearly going out. And you snatch it back down and kind of take what's already a home run back. So he went up. His glove went back and bumped into the beer of the fan who was trying to make you know YouTube history by trying to catch the home run in his beer. Glove meets beer, beer goes all over the outfielder and all over everyone else. And the home run, the ball continues out over the field. And everyone's like, okay, is that a home run? And the ump's like signaling home run and they review the play. And that brings up what is fan interference, right? Because you've seen before when a fan gets in the way of the ball, you know, there's that, that's wrong. That's, you know, it's not going to be the home run. It's not going to be whatever because a fan got in the way. Turns out the wall, it just decides where there's interference. If the fan was reaching over the wall with a mitt, with his beer, with his bare hand, whatever, and hit the glove, it would have been fan interference. But because the outfielder reached back out over the wall into the stands with the glove, that's at your own risk. So if he bumps into a fan, fan bumps into him, there's no interference. It's a home run. So I learned a lot. I learned about the interference rules. I didn't know that before. But my favorite part of the story is the San Diego um, Tribune's headline was, Hosmer hits homer, just beer enough. We were at the Nats game last night, and they previewed, they, they had the premiere of the bullpen cart.
1: And we were really excited. We heard about this, I think, the day before, the morning of. And so we're super excited to be there to see the cart in action. But we think the Nationals might just not know how to use the bullpen cart. They don't deserve because... the bullpen cart. You know, the gates open in center field, like, where the staff with cleaning equipment comes out, like, where the racing presidents come out, and the cart comes out, and the lights are on, and everybody's cheering, and then it drives, like, past the Nationals bullpen and keeps going around, and then you look over, and the Nationals pitcher's already on the mound, warming up.
0: Where did he come from? We don't know.
1: And that happened with two Nationals pitchers, and then, I think at two different points, we watched the bullpen cart. Drive around the outfield wall as the Marlins pitcher was jogging
0: in. Yeah, nobody wanted to ride in the bullpen cart except the mascot. Now, Nationals' closer. Um, Sean Doolittle really is a proponent of the bullpen cart. He's on the DL. So I think he would have been the guy. I think
1: he should have driven the bullpen cart. He
0: totally should have driven the bullpen cart. But everyone's like, oh, no, we don't need that. We want to run in. And one of the biggest proponents of we're going to run in and not use that was Trevor Gott, who did not even last an inning last night. So maybe if he would have saved his strength and taken a ride in the bullpen cart, he would have gotten a couple of outs instead of a couple of runs hit against him. We don't deserve the bullpen cart. I'm just saying. You can become a Patreon member and help us out here at No Crying in Baseball for as little as $1 a month. That's about a quarter an episode to get access to extra bonus content, full-length interviews, travel tales, and more. We might even thank you in an upcoming episode. Just go to patreon.com slash no crying and ball That's patreo dot com no crying in beeball and become a supporter today. You'll find everything you need there to support NCIB. Special thanks to Patreon subscribers, Sarah Morgan, Holly Simonette, and Marita Irby. We appreciate your support. Thanks so much. We're going to welcome to our show, John, and I'm going to do it wrong, John, John Lenodikus who's a producer, documentarian, and a baseball historian. His three baseball documentaries, Not Exactly Cooperstown, The Day the World Series Stopped, and "Hano: A Century in the Bleachers, are in the permanent collection of the National Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. His most recent work is The Sweet Spot, A Treasury of Baseball Stories, which is a series of short documentaries now in its third season. He's also released a companion book called Baseball Pioneers. Welcome, John.
2: Hi, Patty. It's good to be with you.
0: I want to talk to you about this cool series you've got. I just finished watching season three, and there are like a million baseball stories out there in the world. Can you talk a little bit about what kind of stories you look for and whose stories it is you want to tell?
2: Well, the whole concept behind the Sweet Spot Project was we wanted to take a a new look at America's oldest game and kind of look at stories beyond the stats. Exploring stories about the human side of the game, along with sharing war stories from people who work in baseball or are deeply entrenched inside the subculture of the game, like fans and photographers, writers and coaches. And also examine social issues like racism and gender discrimination in baseball.
0: I noticed that they seem to mostly be in first person. Why was that important to you?
2: Well, the the project was very much influenced by what I feel is one of the greatest baseball books of all time called the glory of their times by Lawrence Ritter. And these were a collection of oral histories and their oral histories are really important to a culture and, and to a, uh, our history here in the U S. So I wanted to have first person perspectives of people's experiences inside and outside of baseball. And so oral histories are really what drove this project.
0: Tell me why, I mean, the, the first series seems to kind of bounce around between a couple of different types of stories. And then there's a little bit more focus on racism in the second series. Tell me about focusing specifically on women in baseball for this third season. Sure. As all
2: storytellers are looking for really compelling stories, as well as stories that really haven't been told. And I found that the story of American women in baseball was particularly interesting. Um, It's a story with deep, dark, tangled roots. It ties to the larger social issue in this country of gender discrimination. And the deeper I got into it over the course of about two years, I was shocked at the stories of mistreatment of girls and women uh, by so-called adults and uh, men with Cro-Magnon mentalities towards girls and women who had the temerity to wanna play their national pastime. A lot of that came when they wanted to play on boys' teams or men's teams. And, of course, this problem doesn't really exist with respect to baseball in Canada or Japan or Australia, but we have it here in the United States because of a long history of discrimination towards women and social constructs that were made for women by the men in this country, and it continues to this day and i found this to be a particularly interesting uh and fascinating story and deeply troubling and it strikes at the core of what it means to be american
0: tell me what you think the the measure of success will be for women and girls in baseball because i was getting a couple different stories as told like um is it integration of major league baseball is it is it separate but equal what 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 do you think the, the goals are here?
2: Well, I think the end, there's, there's, the end game is there's a short-term goal and a long-term goal. And I, as I've been uh, thinking about this and talking with Jennifer Ring, who's a political scientist, who, who, who's in our third season and whose daughter was a very accomplished baseball player who played on the men's baseball team at Vassar, um, their short-term goal is to create more access for girls and women to play, coach, and umpire at any level. There seems to be this propensity to say, well, if women are so good, why aren't they playing with uh, Major League Baseball? That's not the the point. The point is to allow people to follow their hopes and dreams. This is supposed to be the land of the free. Now, the second half of the equation here, or or the objective here, is what I think the uh, long-term goal is to have a 21st century version of a league of their own. That is to say, a professional women's baseball league. It's going to take probably a generation to, once we have the access for a lot of girls to play baseball beyond Little League and, uh, and into high school and college, uh, this is how you do the, the players, to stock a league that people are willing to pay for and women are great athletes. They need the opportunity to develop. So in my mind, that is the short and long-term goal, and I talked that over with Jennifer Ring, who's been very deep uh, in this cause for decades, and she agreed, too, that it's women need a league of their own. And we're finding little leagues of their own already happening in San Francisco. They have a base Sox program there, just for girls age six to 16. And that is the kind, and it's incredibly successful. They started with 60 girls a couple of years ago. They're up to over 100 girls now. And this is the sort of thing that needs to be happening in every major league city in the United States and Canada.
0: Yeah, it seems like one of the issues is there are these little pockets of success stories, but they're not integrating with each other very well. And I think that's what you're talking about. That's kind of where you want to head, where we should all want to head want to head towards, like, you know, get this these leagues talking to each other and becoming part of a of a whole.
2: Correct. And to some extent, that is happening. You're correct when you say there is uh, some factionalism going on out there. But I think what's happening here, is, like all important movements, this is a grass grassroots movement. Uh, we have Baseball for All that's based here in Los Angeles, where I am. We've got the Bay Sox program up in uh, San Francisco. There's the D.C. Force Over out in Washington, there are, as you say, all these pockets. Fortunately, there's a place for them all to come together, which was at Baseball for All's National Girls Baseball Tournament, which just concluded this past week. And again, was a smashing success. I think they had something like over 400 girls from the United States and Canada participating. Uh, When I went and saw it two years ago in 2016 in San Francisco, there were 200 girls. So that's a massive leap in just two years.
0: And I think the next step might be, how do people get to see these games? Because we were very interested in that baseball for all weekend tournament, and we couldn't figure out a way to watch it. From We're also in D.C., so we're kind of proud of our home team (laughs) who did very well there. But um, yeah, it's it's not just playing, but it's also how do you build the audience for it, right?
2: Well, right. And I think it, it starts on a local level, and you just have to kind of seek out, you know, who's doing girls' baseball in your community. And like I say, you're in D.C., so you can see the D.C. force play. And I believe it's Ava Benak that's the coach. Um, So uh, right there, you've got an opportunity to see that. But on a larger stage, this month, we have the Women's World Cup of Baseball for the first time in the United States, which I believe is starting October, I'm sorry, August the 22nd in Vieira, Florida and the best women baseball players in the world will be competing on a world stage, and hopefully that's going to be accessible via ESPN or some other means. I know I I watched it two years ago on the internet, so you just have to dig a little deep. It's just, you know, like all women's sports, it's not getting the coverage it deserves, so we as uh, uh, interested viewers and so forth, we just have to dig a little bit deeper to find it.
0: The um the tournament that's happening later this month that you just talked about, they brought the uh, the trophy around to different major league ballparks and here at Nationals Park was their first stop, and a couple of the nationals the team players, the, the women's USA team players were there with the trophy. and people would walk by and stop short and say, "Wait a minute, that's a thing." So it was really good PR, and it was so everyone was so surprised that this actually exists because nobody knows.
2: And it's true. And part of what I'm doing with the third season of our uh, our show, and you mentioned the first, we have three seasons. Our first season was very eclectic. The type of, It's very much an anthology, a collection of stories. Our second season, we did start to focus a little bit on the issue of race. And the third season, I felt that the subject matter of women in baseball was so important and, 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 and worthy that uh, we not only uh, dedicated a season to it, but we also... Uh, turned it into a feature-length documentary film, and we toured it up and down California during March, which is Women's History Month. And so many of the responses were, this is incredible. I had no idea that girls had an interest in playing baseball. We thought all they did was play softball. Um, And they were, like myself, they were really shocked at the stories uh, of the struggle of American girls to play baseball.
0: So take a second and let our listeners know where they can find your series, where they can watch it. Absolutely. They can wa-
2: find it on Amazon Prime, and um, and Amazon Prime members watch the show for free. And so you just go to Amazon.com, you go in the search bar, you can go down to Amazon Prime or Movies and TV, and you just type in the sweet spot, and it will come up. You can also find us on Vimeo On Demand. Uh, let's just type in the sweet spot and Vimeo On Demand, uh, and you'll find it there. Now there, it's I believe it's $2.99 a month. It's all you can eat. There's no... Hang up that you have to stay for longer than a month. That we have more content on our Vimeo on demand side than we do on on Amazon, but that's simply because I've ganged some of my previous documentaries, which are in the Hall of Fame that you mentioned earlier. Thankfully, and uh, they can watch those too, and that means that you can watch our show on your mobile device, your computer at home, or your smart TV.
0: That is excellent. So we can spread the word about women in baseball and what people can do to help. You also have a companion book. Tell me about that.
2: Yes. It's the first volume in our series. And and these are basically we, because all of our our shows are driven by oral histories, we uh, we take our transcripts from our interviews and we edit them down and put them into book form as well. And when we were looking for a theme for our very first volume, I said, well, let's go with baseball pioneers. But the twist on this theme is going to be that it's going to be dominated by women. So of the six uh, pioneers that we focus on, four of them are women. Uh, Perry Barber, who you've interviewed on your show, a professional umpire for almost 40 years now. Maybelle Blair and Shirley Berkovich, who played in the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. And Justine Siegel, who was the first woman to be hired as a coach by a Major League Baseball team and who is also the leader of Baseball for All. And the two men that are featured in the book are Jim Mudcat Grant, the first African-American to win 20 games in the American League, and Jackie Robinson.
0: There's one thing that you did In several of the episodes, and it's in the finale of the third season that I just loved. There was this moment where you handed the baseball to the person you were interviewing Mm -hmm. and just asked them what that made them feel or what they thought about. And that was just brilliant because they were all emotional and they all had a thing. It meant something very specific to all of them. How'd you come up with that? Well, How did that happen?
2: Um, Well, first of all, that's my favorite question to ask. And we ask it in just about every interview. And it's always the last question. And um, the, the the way I got there was I was doing voiceover for some of my past films. And I found that I was a little bit nervous. But then when I put a baseball in my hands, it calmed me down. Um, and then somebody else mentioned something to me about just what a baseball means to them. And they started to cry. And... I said, I've got to weave that in to our interviews. And I would say of the 40 interviews or 50 interviews we've done so far, 10% of the people break down talking about what baseball means to them. A A little bit later on, we're going to have an entire episode just focused on that question and people's response to the question is, when you hold that baseball in your hand, What does your heart and soul say to you?
0: There will be a lot of Kleenex boxes nearby, (laughs) the interviewees and those of us watching that. I have two quick questions before we wrap up. One is when I read your bio, I saw that you worked at Candlestick Park. Was that as a child, teenager?
2: Yeah, I worked at Candlestick Park from 1970 to 75 when I was a teenager, and I worked in the parking lots. And all those stories about it being, you know, like, going to the Russian front and being incredibly cold are all true.
0: (laughs) I was there once. I could (laughs) believe that. My last question for you is, what's next? Is it more baseball? Are you going in a different direction? What can we look forward to?
2: Oh, yes, there is going to be more baseball. Um, First of all, for your listeners who are in Cleveland, I'm going to be at the Baseball Heritage Museum August 25th and 26th. And we're screening our film about uh, gender bias in baseball on Saturday, the 25th at one o'clock at the Baseball Heritage Museum in Cleveland. And that's at 6601 Lexington Avenue. That's the site of League Park, one of the oldest ballparks in the country. Then on Sunday, we're going to be showing uh, some of our short films about Mudcat Grant and Jackie Robinson. That starts at one o'clock as well. We're hard at work at season four of The Sweet Spot. We're going to be releasing our first episode in about a week or so on Amazon and Vimeo on demand. And then we're doing a little bit deeper dive into the subject of American women in baseball. And uh, so we've got a pretty, pretty full slate of work ahead of us. And it's all very exciting.
0: Well, I look forward to all of that. Thank you so much for spending time with us, John. And I hope our listeners take a look at the sweet spot and have as good time with it as I did.
2: Well, great. They can come visit us on our website, Uh, It's thesweetspot.tv, and they can find the book, Baseball Pioneers, on Amazon.com. And we have a very special baseball card set, which features a lot of women in baseball, and you can find that on our website as well.
0: I can't wait to go shopping. Thanks, John.
2: Thank you, Patty. My pleasure.
0: Coming up in the next week, we've got the Women's World Cup starting on August 22nd. They still have not announced where we can watch, but as soon as we find out, we will post it to social media so you can watch the games too. What else is coming up this week?
1: Players weekend is real soon, and even with some of the dumb nicknames, I'm excited.
0: (laughs) I'm going to be out next week, but Regulation Potty Mouth will be back, so we'll try to hold the fort with at least one of us at any given time. Until then, please tell your friends about the show. Rate, review, subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And until then, say goodnight, other Potty Mouth. Goodnight, other Potty Mouth.